Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Radical. Fundamental principles of freedom. Rational self-interest. And individual rights. This is The Yaron Brook Show. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to Yvonne Book Show on this uh, Thursday evening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, three nights in a row. Uh, trying to compensate for all those, uh, all those days where I did no shows because I was traveling and on the road. So uh, thank you for being patient and thank you for, uh, for joining me for these three nights. Uh, today, we're going to take out a topic that is obviously... Uh, you know, at the headlines of the uh, Democratic debates, we've got a number of Democratic candidates who are, you know, doing everything in their power to present and uh, billionaires as an evil pest on, on this world that needs to be eradicated, that needs to be eliminated, that needs to be gone. Um, you've got... You've got Bernie Sanders, you've got Elizabeth Warren, but then you've got really all the Democrats, now that Bloomberg has joined the field uh, in the competition, uh, Bloomberg is now the symbol of billionairehood, of what it means to be a billionaire. And they're going all out for political reasons, for moral reasons, for, for, for campaign reasons. They're going all out in their bashing a billionaires, and I thought I'd do a show about that, kind of analyze it. And and I looked, I looked for videos, and and yes, Bloomberg is pathetic in his attempt to defend capitalism. And of course, he's not going to defend capitalism. Remember, he's running as a Democrat. If he actually presented a defense of capitalism, if he knew how to defend it, uh, present a defense of capitalism, which he obviously doesn't, but if he knew how to do it, he couldn't do it because he would immediately be written off by the Democrats. So he is in an impossible situation. He has to present himself as a self-hating billionaire in order to be a legitimate candidate within the Democratic Party. There's just no other way for him to play this. So it's not surprising that he's not rigorous in his defense. Of course, Mitt Romney was never rigorous in his defense of his wealth and his success, so why would we expect that from Bloomberg? I mean, it's sad with regard to Bloomberg, Bloomberg because Bloomberg is a, a straight-up entrepreneur, is somebody who's actually created a product, uh, created a, a, a fantastic product that nobody in the financial world 
can live without, really. Everybody in the financial industry uses a Bloomberg terminal, uses Bloomberg services. Uh, it is, he's a true entrepreneur. He's a true innovator. He's built a business that didn't exist before. Um, and, and one should really admire him. He's a real businessman, and, and, and I really admire him as a businessman. He's done phenomenally well, and he's made billions of dollars as a consequence. He, 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 um, you know, he, he owned a big chunk of the company. He's kept a big chunk of the company, uh, even when he, when he uh, raised capital. And he has earned every billion that he has. But he can't actually defend that. Because then it's all over for him. So he has to be a self-hating billionaire, which is not too hard because almost every billionaire out there is self-hating because it's the only way they can give themselves any moral credit and or presentable uh, before the culture. Anyways, I want to do something on billionaires, and I was looking for some video of Bernie or of AOC, of somebody, one of these uh, Democrats attacking, uh, attacking billionaires. And, and they all do it. They do it all the time. But they never give an argument for their attack. They just assume everybody understands. And, and they equivocate between billionaires and cronyism. And it's just obvious that billionaires are bad guys. And there's never an argument, which is does not serve well for a, a video to kind of analyze because there's nothing really to say other than the fact that they're wrong <laughs> and to try to explain why they're wrong, but there's no content. There's no explanation. There's no attempt to say what the problem is. So I was looking around, and yeah, there are a bunch of leftists who hate billionaires. Uh, most of them are Marxists. So I was looking at somebody semi-intelligent who... who Attacks billionaires, who's uh, given this some thought, who's popular out there. And I found somebody. I, I found this guy named Anand, and I can't pronounce his name. Jiri Daharash, Daharadash, Daharadash, something like that. Anyway, I'll just call him Anand, right? I mean, yes, Thomas Piketty, but Thomas Piketty, there's no good video of him, at least that I know of. You can send me some. Uh, if you know of where he 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 attacks billionaires, so so I found this guy, and I found this video called "Should Billionaires Exist?" And before we get to the video, I, I just want to consider the question. Well, what does that mean? Who gets to ask this question? Who thinks it's appropriate to ask such a question? Who gets to decide where the billionaires should exist? What should we do with the existing billionaires? But, but think of the, the, the attitude, the kind of, um, I don't know, moral arrogance, the arrogance, the, but the arrogance in a, in, a, in a negative sense, the kind of philosophic king attitude, the central planning, I am going to rule your life attitude of somebody even coming up with, should there be what? I mean, who do you want to eliminate? Should there be Jews? Should Jews exist? What, should billionaires exist? Should we put them in concentration camp? What, what should we do with billionaires? 
I mean, it is such just a despicable, disgusting question. We're not talking about should murderers exist, should violence exist, or even should hatred exist, although I'm, I'm very pro-hatred. No, should billionaires exist? Should a certain level of wealth, certain individuals with a certain level of wealth exist? It's not, should cronyism exist? Should government intervention in the economy exist? Should socialism exist? No, it's certain people who have billions of dollars. And, and there's, no, there's no discussion here of how they got it. It's just, should they exist? It's just such a disgusting, despicable question. that assumes that some people have a right over the lives of others, that assumes that somebody should have the power to decide who has how much wealth. It just assumes that somebody should have the power to do something about other people's existence. Now, this idea of should billionaires exist, I think AOC popularized it. As I've said often, AOC is quite influential. I think, you know, now uh, Bernie's obviously popularized it. It's all over the place. This question of should billionaires exist is everywhere. And it's a scary, scary question. When you give, when you assume that some people should have that kind of power over the lives of other people to the point where they can ask a question like this, never mind what the answer is. That is very, very scary. Who the hell are you to decide whether billionaires should exist? And if we believe in individual rights, which I know the Democrats don't believe in, and most Republicans don't believe in, but if you believe in individual rights, if you have any conception of individual rights, then how can anybody, including a majority, decide whether billionaires should exist? All right, so we're going to watch this video where Anand tries to defend his view that billionaires should not exist. And indeed, he will argue that billionaires are immoral, immoral for being or remaining billionaires. Uh, I thought there's a lot of content here worth going after, worth discussing. I, you know, again, I, I was looking for somebody who actually makes an argument versus somebody who just spouts their hatred of billionaires. And uh, this, is, this is what I came up with. So um, that's not him. That's the guy interviewing him. So uh, this is an interview uh, by Stephen Pakin. Stephen Pakin, it's on TVO. It's called The Agenda with Stephen Pakin. There it is. You see The Agenda with Stephen Pakin. Um, and uh, so, so that's where I got the video from. It's on YouTube. And we're going to play this, and he's going to introduce who this Anand is. So, I mean, he's not, uh, he, he's somebody who writes regularly. Um, you know, he's a Time Magazine editor at large. He's an author of a, win, of, of a, a, a recent book called Winners Take All. I, I saw an interview this Anand did at Harvard, at Harvard University. Uh, he's making the rounds, and he is relatively uh, big. I don't know what CBC is. I don't know what CBC is, but so it's on CBC, somebody says. So I, I don't know what that is. Um, 
Oh, Canadian Broadcasting Channel. Okay, so this is a Canadian Broadcasting Channel. This is on uh, Canada's version of the BBC, of the PBS or the BBC. And, um, but Hernandez is making the rounds. He's spoken at a lot of different places. I'm sure he gets paid a lot of money to speak at a lot of these places. Um, but he's not a billionaire because we know that because he wouldn't, probably wouldn't be attacking billionaires the way he has. All right, let's, uh, let me put my headphones on so I can hear this. And we're going to listen, and I will just, as usual, I will just stop this and comment. But this is not a no- Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is somebody significant in, um, in the intellectual world in which we live. He's relatively young. He's like 38. Um, and um, he, he's just put out a book called Winners Take All. And he's making the rounds, making the rounds about this. And, of course, he's a beloved, beloved by, by Democrats. Democratic presidential hopefuls Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have made no bones about going after the ultra-elite mega-millionaires and billionaires. That's now, notice, too, that they use mega-elite, not mega-rich, which would be a description. Mega-elite suggests that they're more than just rich, that, they have, that there's something more going on here than just wealth. Elite usually refers to those in power, to those who have political influence, cultural influence. Also the stomping grounds of our next guest. Anand Girdardas is author most recently of Winners Take All, the elite charade of changing the world. He is an editor-at-large for Time and a political analyst for MSNBC, and he joins us now for more. It's so good to have you back here. Good to be back here. I think it was 10 years ago you were on this program. One of my first TV appearances ever. Is that right? And yes. we didn't ruin it. And you. it, didn't shut, down the, no, it didn't, no. didn't shut down my TV it career. It did not, because you've been on numerous times since then. So good to have you back. Let me read something that Matt Flegenheimer wrote in the New York Times um, back on November 8th. He wrote, there is probably never a bad time to be a billionaire, but this at least is an especially complicated one. <laughs> Across politics, technology, and popular culture, the wisdom and purpose of the extremely wealthy is being questioned as never before. <laughs> complicated Do you time. see this shift taking place? Yes, and, and, and it's, it, what was very interesting in that phrasing, I love that piece, the wisdom and purpose of these billionaires being questioned. What, what's so elegant in that phrase is it's questioning both the wisdom of the billionaires as in their wisdom, but also the purpose of having billionaires. As a the, the purpose of having billionaires. Society, mm. not just the billionaire's sense of their own purpose, but our sense of purpose in allowing fortunes like that to be amassed. Now, notice, allowing fortunes like that to be amassed assumes that somebody needs permission from you, from society, to be amassed. Somebody in the chat, oh, Jennifer says, is 999 million okay? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's not just a, you know, they don't want you to have what they consider, whatever they consider, excessive wealth. But they know they're allowing. They, the only reason billionaires exist is because we allow it. 
So freedom is not the assumption. The assumption is we're all slaves. We're all just beholden to the tribe. We're all beholden to the state. We're all beholden to society. And there are circumstances in which society allows us, leaves us free for a while, creates the conditions where some of us can become billionaires. I mean, think of the mentality that holds that. And by the way, this is the same mentality that I was discussing yesterday in the conservative economics. The conservatives have the same mentality in, in, uh, regarding other issues, but the same kind of attitude of we know what's best, we know how society should be structured, we will allow or not allow what we think is appropriate to be done in society. And even the suspicion of billionaires is now common among Republicans, among conservatives, as well as Democrats. But the whole language is, is what's important here is how collectivistic it is. The assumption is, the implicit assumption in everything this guy says, and in everything the conservative nationalists and conservative economists hold, everything, is that your life does not belong to you. That the collective, the group, is what matters. The collective, the group, counts for everything. And then they, whoever they are, the people responsible for the collective, for the group, the philosopher kings of whatever time it is, they get to decide how much freedom you get, when you get it, how much wealth you can accumulate, what you can do with your life, what you can't do with your life, because your life doesn't belong to you. And remember, this is the foundation for this is in the morality of altruism. The morality of altruism says your moral purpose is to serve others. Your moral purpose is other people's well-being. You cannot, should not think of yourself. Be selfless. Well, if I'm selfless, how can my life belong to me? How can my life have any meaning? If it doesn't have meaning to me, it totally doesn't have any meaning to anybody else. So the whole assumption here is that your life is not yours and therefore your only reason you accumulate anything is because society has, quote, allowed you to do so. Now somebody on Facebook says, and I'm going to use this in spite of it's not a super chat question, that the central, that's the central question to drill down to. Do they actually have their wealth because they have done something worthy of that money? I don't think that's the central question at all. But okay, but let's, let, it is a question. Or simply because they have exerted power, uh, be it market power or governmental, in order to obtain it. I don't know what market power is. Market power, of course they've exerted market power to obtain it. That's the way you become a billionaire, by exerting market power. That is a positive power. There's nothing negative about market power. Rand was very clear, it is no longer capitalism when it becomes profitable for a company to send a man to Washington. But that's everybody's business model these days. Is it? Is it Bloomberg's business model to send somebody to Washington? Is that how he achieved the success? I don't think there's any evidence of that. Was it Zuckerberg? Did Zuckerberg, did Facebook achieve its success 
because of Zuckerberg's ban in Washington. No. Zuckerberg's man in Washington is primarily there to defend himself. Now, it's true. There are people out there. There are billionaires out there who are complete cronies, who have achieved their wealth because of cronyism, because of their man in Washington. But you have to point them out. You have to figure out who they are before you condemn all billionaires. And it's not obvious to me that, that Steve Jobs, that Bill Gates, Bill Gates indeed was persecuted for not having a man in Washington. That's why he was persecuted. That's why the Justice Department went after him. So, I think it's the minority of billionaires, a small minority of billionaires, that are billionaires because of government intervention. Now, it's true that given government intervention, one cannot predict what markets would have been under laissez-faire capitalism. But the world is what it is. The economy is what it is. And to the extent that you accumulate wealth in this economy without violating the rights of others, without you explicitly violating the rights of others, without lobbying, without influencing to violate the rights of others, then it's your wealth. And you show me where early on in his career, Zuckerberg lobbied to violate the rights of others. You show me where Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Larry Ellison or Sam Walton or Bloomberg used lobbying as a means to attain their wealth. Ayn Rand criticizes those businessmen who focus their attention on Washington. But indeed, these are not examples of such men. And most of the billionaires on the Forbes billionaire list are not cronies. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong. Now, it's also true, I've heard this criticism, that in a world with the Federal Reserve, a lot of stuff is distorted. That we don't know what the world would be if we had laissez-faire capitalism, no Federal Reserve, no quantitative easing, no printing of monies, whether there would be billionaires. Maybe there wouldn't be billionaires because the purchasing power of the dollar would be so much more powerful. You wouldn't have to be a billionaire to be as rich as a billionaire. I don't know. But again, it's not the world we live in. You have to give moral and economic credit where moral and economic credit is due. When people create value and become billionaires because of the value they create, even though the market is distorted, it's not their fault the market is distorted. It's not them who distorted the market. And it's a massive, massive injustice to lump all billionaires in as cronies, which is exactly what Bernie Sanders does. It's exactly what the left does. There's a fundamental difference between market power, which is economic power, which is limited by the voluntary, your voluntary interactions with other people and their voluntary consent, and government power, 
which is fundamentally a gun. It's a gun at the back of somebody's head. It's violence, it's coercion, it's authority. So government power is the power to coerce, the power to force. Market power is not power. Not power in the sense of coercion. It is your ability to offer a product that people can voluntarily consume or not. That people can voluntarily come and work for you or not. That people can voluntarily... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Voluntarily finance. Or not. Economic power is fundamentally moral because it is based on choice. It is based on voluntary exchange, on voluntary trade. That is not true with government power. Government power is about coercion. Sometimes you need coercion. In self-defense, you need force. But that's the only context in which you need force. Force should only be used in self-defense. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, I mean, uh, Daniel writes, for Rand's complete explanation of distinctions between capitalist businessmen and the crony capitalist businessmen, see the comparison between Hank Reardon and Arne Boyle and Atlas Shrugged. Absolutely. But to, uh, the idea that there are no Hank Reardons today because we don't have capitalism today, is absurd in my view. The idea that all businessmen today are all in boils is absurd. There is no evidence of that. Now, it's true that the bigger the government is, the more involved it is, the more it regulates, the more involved in government all businessmen become. I mean, even Hank Reardon, if you remember, had his man in Washington. A man who stabbed him in the back and betrayed him in the end, as must happen to the successful capitalist businessman. But you can't survive without a man in Washington. Again, see Microsoft as an example for a company that had nobody in Washington and was therefore gone after by the Justice Department and almost completely destroyed. All right, we'll keep going with Anand. As a priority, before we take care of priorities like making sure most people have the rudiments of a decent life. 
So again, society, government, all of us, the collective, the tribe, is responsible that everybody in society have the rudiments of life or the rudiments of the basics of life. And over the last you know, 30 to 40 years in the United States, we have practiced a social model that is billionaire-friendly first. That is pretty funny. Over the last 30, 40 years, we have lived under an ever-growing regulatory state, uh, uh, ever-increasing, not ever-increasing because it fluctuates, but an increasingly progressive tax system, more progressive in the United States than in egalitarian Europe. And yet, yeah, because we left a few industries free, primarily technology, because we left them free of regulations, free of control, and because, partially because, we left, we, we, we you know, yeah, because we left them free. Yeah, we've had a lot of billionaires. But the idea that we have somehow, that we, the collective, the government, has created billionaires or created an environment that's pro-billionaires is absurd. Indeed, it's an environment that's anti-billionaires. It makes it difficult for them to raise capital. It taxes them at every opportunity. It regulates their businesses. It makes it difficult since Sarbanes-Oxley to go public, to raise capital on a large scale. So the idea that somehow we live in some laissez-faire capitalist heaven in which, oh yeah, you can make as much money as you want, nobody steps in your way, is just insane. Indeed, in laissez-faire capitalism, on a, in, from the perspective of a real purchasing power of a dollar, there would be many more billionaires, not fewer. Now, maybe they wouldn't be billionaires because the dollar would be a lot, more, a lot stronger, a lot more meaningful. From the perspective of wealth, there would be many, many more wealthy people because the barriers to creating wealth would be far, far less than they are today. So this nutty assumption that since Ronald Reagan, we have done nothing but create a laissez-faire pro-capitalist environment in which billionaires can just become billionaires is indeed is indeed insane. Um, okay, somebody says, uh, somebody asked for an example of a crony billionaire. Um, I, I, you know, I'm trying to think. Well, I have Donald Trump, if he's a billionaire. You, you know, people who have, have used and manipulated uh, the government, have, 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 have lobbied for particular laws, have lobbied and, and, and used on a large-scale eminent domain. Uh, Putin in Russia, uh, but I'm sure there were a lot, in, uh, a lot in the United States. I mean, Elon Musk didn't become a billionaire out of cronyism, but is suddenly sustaining himself and grown his billions out of cronyism. I mean, I mean uh, Tesla is one big crony company. It, it could have never got started. It could have never survived. It could have never thrived without massive... Massive government subsidies, not just tax breaks for people who buy the product, but massive direct subsidies, for example, from the state of California that in some years 
were in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, other cronies um, who are billionaires, I don't have the list of billionaires in front of me, but I don't think they're that many. I don't think there are that many. I think most of the people who actually become billionaires make it on their own, make it by their own work. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I know a billionaire. I know that one of the founders of, um, of uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Groupon. Groupon, right? The coupon thing. I mean, he's a billionaire. He's like founded five or six or seven different companies in different spaces, all related to technology, either sold them or taken them public, and he's made well over a billion for himself. There's no cronyism there. Um, I don't know. Uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me go and um, do some research and find you crony billionaires. But Elon Musk, certainly in his second life, post-PayPal, has been a real crony. A real crony. Um, allow people to run companies in ways that make as much money as possible by cutting every social corner. Imagine running a company to make as much money as possible, cutting social corners. What does that even mean? We'll pay people as little as possible. Pay as okay, so they pay people as low as possible. When has that ever, ever been a policy of American business? Pay them as low as possible. So why don't they go and work for somebody else? I mean, why isn't there competition for labor? There are plenty of employers out there. How does that work? And if you pay people as low as possible, then are they less motivated to work? Do they become less productive? I mean, the whole idea that businessmen are just scheming to lower workers' wages and oppress them and hold them down rather than increase their productivity and increase their motivation is so absurd and ludicrous that only an intellectual could hold that view, somebody who's never been in business. As taxes as possible. Use Caribbean islands to dodge things. Use trusts, double Irish for the Dutch sandwich tax maneuver. <laughs> Not that delicious. And so on and so forth. Lobby in Washington for public policies, bottle service public policy that's just good for you and your friends, not good for the commons. And then what you get is a defanged government. So again, you, you associate all cronies, all billionaires with cronyism. They're all there lobbying for favors. All of them. And that's how it became... Not able to do big things for people. Multiplying social problems because of that defanged government and because of all the ways you're employing people, etc. And then billionaires coming along and CEOs and others coming along and saying, what a shame. What a shame. These festering social problems makes my heart hurt. And this government... Not able to solve it? That's a shame. Let me step up. I can fix it. We have yeah, one of the things he really hates, and, he, and he's, his book is about, is the idea of, of uh, billionaire philanthropy. He hates the idea of billionaire philanthropy. Who are they? Who are they to try to solve social problems? What we should do is tax the hell out of them. Take their billions away from them. Give it to the government and let the government solve the problems. So he is very, very opposed to uh, billionaire 
free market philanthropy. He wants all that money to go to government. That is part of what he hates about billionaires is their arrogance and thinking that they can solve social problems. Who are they? Politicians. That's their job. It's, it's politicians' job. And intellectuals like his job to solve social problems, not billionaires. Stay away, billionaires. We don't want your money, billionaires. Talking, though, about the 1% ever since the Great Recession broke. So why do you think there's anything particularly different right now? I think, well, first of all, movements take time to build, right? There were Seattle protests in 1999. Occupy was in 2011. I think the financial crisis in 2008, 2009 um, had an enormous uh, role in shattering not only opportunity, particularly for a lot of young people whose lives never were able to get off the ground then or since, but also shattering a certain mythology that the United States has practiced but also preached around the world. The mythology that the best society is achieved by leaving entrepreneurs alone. That's the mythology. The best society achieved by leaving entrepreneurs alone. Now, do we leave entrepreneurs alone? Do we not demand they get licensed? Do we not demand that they pay huge taxes? Do we not regulate again every aspect, every aspect of what they do? Where do we leave them actually alone? That, 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 you, that, that, that if you do that one thing, all other good things flow. Nobody believes that if you do just one thing, all else good things flow. But he believes the world is a zero-sum game. We'll so see it that. doesn't sound like a terribly dumb idea. You know, if you let the best and the brightest and smartest go out and yeah, do their thing, absolutely. we'll have a better society. Yeah, we would. On the face of it. Entrepreneurs are just one type of person in society pursuing one type of good, which is... Yeah, and we should leave everybody free to pursue their lives. Not just one type, absolutely. But you want everybody shackled in the name of what exactly? Money and growth. Um, you know, it turns out that what teachers do is not motivated by that kind of calculation and actually turns out to be really, really important. What is the calculation that we're talking about that entrepreneurs, I mean, he assumes that what motivates entrepreneurs, what drives entrepreneurs, that the only thing that matters to entrepreneurs is money. But we know that that's not true. We know that's not true. To a civilized society. I'm sure someone as intelligent as you could make more money doing a whole bunch of things in this society, but you do what you do because the pursuit of the truth and that's because fostering he's debate free to do is a really so. important part of society. If, if we abandoned, if people who went into medicine, uh, if people who went into public service, if we abandoned all of that because we just said, you know, the pursuit of money is a, is a great end goal, um, I, don't, I think we'd have a very impoverished society. And part of what has happened in the United States, and to varying degrees in other places, is as money became the lodestar, it... Has money become the lodestar? Are there no more doctors? Are the smartest people in the world all going and becoming entrepreneurs? Really? I mean, it's such a... It's such a, a, a BS story. It's such a nonsensical straw man that he is creating. It became more than just e the economy. It became the culture to the point that in dating in America, people talk about optimization. Right? People use corporate jargon to discuss personal life. There's nothing that's beyond the realm of this 
of this kind of business thinking. And, and I wrote the book to question the idea that the very people who prosecuted this business revolution, this leave entrepreneurs alone revolution, can now miraculously reinvent themselves as the solution to the problems they have caused. Now, I appreciate that, but I do want to know how far you would go to, well, let me put it this way. Bernie Sanders says billionaires should not exist. You prepared to go that far? I think he's right. That billionaires should not exist. These um, guys get to decide. And I would say this. We have tried the other way for a while. Which is leave them alone to do anything. But we don't leave them alone to do everything. Having billionaires. We've tried the having billionaires approach. And it turns out in the United States to be pretty inconsistent um, with the flourishing of most people. Now, is that true? Is that really true that most people are hampered, are worse off because there are some billionaires? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Are people worse off because the financial world is more efficient and more productive because of Bloomberg terminals and Bloomberg data? Is, uh, is everybody worse off because of the iPhone or because of Google or because of Microsoft or because we have now computers on every desk, as Bill Gates imagined it, or that we have iPads or that we have Harry Potter? Because don't forget... Um, J.K. Rawlins is a billionaire. Are we really, is that the problem in America? That we have too many billionaires? We have too many creators of wealth? Have created too many products? Is that impoverishing us? Is that limiting our opportunities? The rest of us, those of us who are not billionaires, do we have fewer opportunities because we have billionaires? Or do we indeed have more opportunities because of billionaires? Is our quality of life and our standard of living actually increased significantly because of the existence of these billionaires? It is, again, striking to me how they don't think this through or, or they don't want to address this at all. At all. So I'm intellectually honest enough to say, let's try another approach. Well, intellectually honest is not something I would attribute to Anand. Which is having a tax code and regulatory structure that would make it you know, impossible or at least much harder to become a billionaire. And let's see what we get. If after 10 or 15 years of that, it turns out that's counterproductive and bad for most people, I'd Find be happy to else. come back on this show and advocate for the you know, reinstatement <laughs> of billionaires. And who gets to decide these things? Who gets to make the decision about what social programs we can put in place to get rid of billionaires, how long we should wait, when we think the decision has shifted, how we measure human well-being, how we measure who's flourishing, when's the flourishing happening, where is the flourishing, how do we measure the benefits to some and the costs to others, where is this utility, magical, social, good, social utility function that we get to adjust and play around with them. Oh, we'll regulate here and we'll see how it affects the utility function. And oh, if things get better, then we'll... Really? This is complete another gibberish. But it's complete another gibberish that all collectivists suffer from. Because all collectivists think in terms of what's good for the group. And they can't measure that. They don't know what's good for the group. They have no measure of goodness for the group. So they're left with their own opinion. They're left with what they feel like. They're left with their own little statistics, what they prefer 
as a measure of quality of human life. And therefore, all this is, is the nuns of the world gaining power, having levers over people's lives, changing it. Oh, let's have some flourishing over there, and let's deny flourishing over here. To hell with billionaires' lives, well, destroy them. We don't want Bezos to go to, the, to, go to Mars. To hell with that project. It's not a good project when there are people over here. The people over here. There is no, somebody says, infant mortality is a good measure. No, it's not. How many people are you willing to kill, sacrifice, in the human sacrifice game in order to reduce infant mortality by how many points? Death of despair. Why are they dying of despair? Because of billionaires? Because of billionaires? There is no measure of overall societal well-being because my well-being, I, I'm not going to die of despair. My children are not going to die a childbirth when they're infants. <laughs> this guy says, how does Yvonne book explain the success of Sweden and Denmark? Checkmate. Really? I have done videos and videos and videos explaining the moderate success of Sweden and Denmark. So <laughs> you'd think he just came up with it. It's the first person who's ever asked me about Sweden and Denmark. I get that question in every talk that I do, and I do about 100 a year. So give me a break. <laughs> Checkmate. Um, I just find it's funny. He said, checkmate, that's the antagonism, not me. Um, no, I don't think there is a measure of well-being. The measure of well-being is freedom. The measure of well-being is a people have the opportunities to live well. And when they are free, I mean, we know what happens with freedom. Standard of living goes up. Child mortality goes down. I mean, if child mortality is high in the United States, which it is relative to Europe, we should ask questions about why. And a lot of that has to do with certain populations. But it doesn't have to do with all of us. It has to do with drugs. It has to do with lifestyle choices. And it has to do with the welfare state out of control. And notice, notice, that the more we spend on welfare the more deaths of despair there are. And by the way, I've done a whole show on deaths of despair, and they have a lot to do with lack of freedom, lack of choices, but primarily with lack of personal responsibility. People not taking personal responsibility. People not going out there and investing in themselves. People not taking their own lives seriously. It does not have anything to do with capitalism. It does not have anything to do with billionaires. And it has everything to do, everything to do with the welfare state, with the state that teaches people not to take care of themselves, teaches people to sit around on their hands waiting for jobs, teaches people to sit around waiting for other people to take care of them. And when they don't, they feel despair. So I would argue that the deaths of despair 
have increased dramatically, as government has grown dramatically, as the role of government has come to dominate our lives, as the number of government employees has exploded, as the amount of dollars the government spend has exploded, as the amount of regulation has exploded, as, the, as, as businesses has been limited, as business has been constrained, as opportunities have been limited, we get more deaths of despair. Statism causes despair. Freedom does not. You do not get deaths of despair in the periods in which America had free markets. So, this idea that you can measure societal well-being in some way by some one measure, and therefore that it's okay to sacrifice some to others in order to increase that measure, improve that measure, is again, pure collectivism, disregard for individual liberty, individual freedom, individual rights, and a recipe for disaster. And I'm not. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I don't think that uh, all this is increasing... Somebody says it's, it's correlated with the number of billionaires. It's not. Because if you take the purchasing power of the dollar, there were a lot of rich people 100 years ago, maybe as many as there are today. Indeed, by Thomas Piketty's calculation, inequality today is about the same as it was in the late 19th century. And there were no deaths of despair in the late 19th century. So the correlation doesn't hold. Deaths of despair, and if you go back to Sweden when it was socialist in the 1970s and the 1980s, Sweden had massive numbers of deaths of despair. Massive amount of suicide. I would argue that it is socialism. It is a culture where people expect to make their living off of other people, where they expect government to come in and bail them out. That is the culture of death. That is the culture of despair. And that inculcates that culture. So if you want to do just correlations, Hong Kong, you don't get a lot of deaths of despair in Hong Kong when Hong Kong was free. You didn't get a lot of deaths of despair in the United States. Indeed, even in the Great Depression, when the economy had crushed and plummeted, when people were truly in desperate conditions, there was not a huge spike in suicides. There was not a huge spike in what's called deaths of despair. Because even during the Depression, 
people believed in their own capability to take care of themselves. They believed, they believed that they had personal responsibility over their own lives. They didn't sit on their hands waiting for the government to give them favors. So what is rotting away at American society today is not billionaires. And, and you, can, you can, again, measure wealth. Uh, uh, what's his name? Rockefeller was far wealthier than Bezos in, a, in real dollars. It's not freedom. It's not technology. It's not billionaires. It's a culture that is telling them they are worthless. It's a culture that is telling them they're not responsible for their own life. Just sit around and wait and other people will help you. The government will save you. It is a culture that talks about collectives and talks about collective goods and ignores and abandons the individual. There has been no increase, significant increase, in freedom in the United States over the last 40 years. Slight increase under Reagan when there was deregulation in the late 70s and early 80s. And since then, just a steady increase in more and more and more and more and more controls and regulations at the local, at the state, at the federal level. All right, let's do a little bit of more of Anand, and then we'll go to your Super Chat questions. There's a lot of Super Chat questions on billionaires. But I think we should talk about the myth that has upheld the idea that it's good to have billionaires. The myth is that what's good for them is good for everybody else. But it is. If the billionaires become billionaires from production, then it is good for everybody else. Right? It's the win-win ideology. It's not a win-win ideology. It's a basic tenant of trade, of, of economics, of human relationships, that voluntary trade is win-win. I think people are starting to not believe it in droves. That's but true. But it has been a defining myth. Of people don't believe it anymore. And Donald Trump doesn't believe it. The left doesn't believe it. Everybody in between doesn't believe it. And it's the end of capitalism and the end of freedom when you stop believing in the trader principle. Ayn Rand called it the trader principle, the idea of the voluntary exchange rationally done, is beneficial to both parties, and people should be free to engage in that. Once the belief in that disappears, markets will disappear, capitalism disappears, freedom disappears. And that's years. where we're heading. And at the heart of the myth is this, is this idea that if you just have business flourish, you have these people do whatever they want to do, everybody's welfare will increase. And I think what people are... That's right. But of course... Not everybody's welfare, those people who are willing to work and be productive. But again, that myth, he calls it, is under conditions of freedom. And we don't have those conditions of freedom today. And my own attempt um, to intervene in that discussion is to say, in certain moments in history, people are not down below because they have failed to join the people up above. They're down below because people up above are standing on their necks. Oh, the government is standing on their necks with licensing laws and taxes that reduce employment and all kinds of ways in which, in which productivity is 
suppressed, minimum wages. Uh, you could go on and on and on with the ways in which government stands on people's necks. Oh, providing a horrible educational system in which people stand on the necks of those who can't rise. Not billionaires. Billionaires are not standing on anybody's necks. Again, the equivocation of economic power with political power. It is government that's standing on people's necks. And when you are in a situation like that in, in, in a society, the only solution to lifting people up is to actually stop people standing on their necks. Yes, And I that's not going to that. happen with them to stop the government voluntarily from signing statements to have better behaved business. It's not going to happen through them giving one pair of shoes for every pair of shoes they sell to you. It's not going to happen through impact investing where you, you know, also factor in social returns. It's not going to happen through social enterprise or philanthropy. It's going to happen the old-fashioned way, which is democratically. How are we going to, if we stand on the billionaire's necks, which is what he's proposing, how does that take the foot off of the... Poor people's necks. I, I, Just putting know, business in a that. proper place in society through regulation, taxation, and, and, and policy and laws. Is it immoral to be a billionaire? I, I, I was called to the Oxford Union to, to engage in, in a debate about that. You know, really the Oxford good. Union, I was told, is sort of famous for framing these debates in a way that favors the kind of conservative <laughs> landed gentry side of the argument, because it is the Oxford Union. So I was you know, asked to argue this, it's immoral to be a billionaire position. And I argued that it is. Um, it's probably a touch more strenuous uh, claim than I would make. I think it's immoral for a society that allows you to be billionaires, as Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio- it's Im Yeah, he quotes AOC, but it's immoral for us not to exert force and coercion on billionaires in order to prevent them from being billionaires. That's the immorality. But he also goes on and says as billionaires said, are immoral. that same question. But the reason I argued it is immoral to be a billionaire, it may be immoral to be a billionaire, is that if you are the beneficiary of a system that predictably, reliably, foreseeably favors your continued hoarding of resources, while most people are not hoarding able of resources. to have the rudiments of a deep Hoarding of resources. I mean, this comes up over and over and over again. And as much, I mean, I've explained it a million times why the rich don't hoard. There is no hoarding of resources. There's investment. There's savings. There's no hoarding. Where, where do they... ...to life. And if you are not doing everything in your power to dismantle that system that you're standing on top of, you become complicit in that system. It doesn't mean that everybody who uh, is a billionaire has, you know, is the same level of sinner. Mm. It doesn't mean that everybody has committed fraud to become a billionaire. Not everybody, just... just some of them, a significant amount. It would be good if you had some evidence to suggest that some of them have committed fraud to become billionaires. A whole bunch of stories. But imply it. Right? Um, and the wealth of the Sackler family, members of which are behind the opioid crisis in the United States, is really, really different from the wealth of Serena Williams, well, who's just really good at tennis. But both benefit. Note that, note that athletes always get a pass. Athletes always get a pass. Athletes, it's fine if they're rich. It's business people who are hated. It's producers that are hated. Athletes, actors, they're fine. From a set of societal arrangements that favor them in a way that I think if you are a responsible citizen, you have to spend your time fighting against. So basically, he is, as he says, he's an altruist. And basically he's saying billionaires a mall because they don't fight against their interests. Billionaires a mall because they don't actually spend their money to 
make sure that there are no billionaires, that the money's not taken away from them. Billionaires are immoral because they don't use their lobbying power to basically eviscerate their own businesses and eviscerate their own wealth. That's what makes billionaires immoral. That's altruism. Billionaires are immoral because they don't hurt themselves. Billionaires are immoral because they're too self-interested. And that's what you expect from a culture that is becoming more and more altruistic, more and more collectivistic. That's where we're heading. That's what's going to happen. That's, that's a direction, left and right. There's no disagreement anymore. It's just what kind of collective, which collective you want to die for. And, you know, altruism is the underlying, unquestioned, unchallenged, indisputable moral framework for every single one of these people. All right, let's see. We have a bunch of uh, Bloomberg questions. Let's see. Didn't people used to want to take charity in the old days? No, they didn't. People resisted charity. People refused charity. People did everything in their power not to take charity and only took charity when they were truly desperate, when they truly had no other means. That was the American character. That's what defined this country. It was, you know, even the stories that in the Great Depression... You know, people did not want to go to the soup kitchens. They did not want to go, and they did everything in their power to avoid that. That culture has changed dramatically. Now we expect the soup kitchen. We demand the soup kitchen. The soup kitchen is not serving good enough food, and it's not there for enough meals. That was not America, even in the midst of a Great Depression, because the character of the people was different. What do you think of Bezos' $10 billion pledge to combat climate change alarmism? Is this guilt and sanction of the victim who will demand more? Yeah, I mean, it is guilt. It is sanction of the victim. It's, it's also, you know, the surrender to, quote, the science. Um, it's what I talked about yesterday about the corruption of science. But entrepreneurs generally, businessmen generally, are very... Admire, particularly tech entrepreneurs are very admiring of, of um, science and, and uh, they don't have the time or, the, or the, the thought to challenge it. They just accept it. And this is a good example of accepting it, of buying you a little bit of peace in heaven um, and, and uh, sanction of the victim and they will demand more. I mean, there's already claims out there that it's not enough that he's not sincere, that it's not real, the left wants more and to suck him dry. Now, it's also going to be interesting to see how he spends it because he's not an idiot. So what's he going to put the $10 billion to? Is it going to be towards nuclear power like Bill Gates, which is the best way if you're going to spend your billions on this issue, it's the best way to spend them? Or is it going to be on, on, on something really absurd and, and nutty like campaigning against the use of fossil fuels. I suspect we will see, given that I, I'm a huge Bezos admirer, I suspect it's going to be more on the line of nuclear power. It'll be interesting. Or, or moving us all to Mars. Are there any multimillionaires in history that have attempted to defend the fruits of their labor and their wealth? Can you name one? 
No, it was. It, it, they, I mean, I'm sure they were in the 19th century. I'm sure they would not tolerate this. Certainly, Howard Hughes uh, defended himself making money uh, during World War II uh, when he was attacked by Congress for doing so. Um, uh, Sam Walton, I think, was pretty good at defending his wealth. Um, oh, oh, what's his name? Uh, 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 he's not a billionaire, but he's a multimillionaire. Uh, um, well, I mean, people like John Allison, uh, people like um, the guy from uh, Cypress Semiconductors. Somebody, somebody online will remember. He wrote the letter to the nuns. The guy from Cypress Semiconductors. Uh, I think a lot of them are quiet. I don't think Steve Jobs ever apologized. I don't know if he tried to defend uh, the wealth. I mean, Bill Gates sometimes does. Yeah, the guy from Cypress Semiconductors was T.J. Rogers. So T.J. Rogers definitely did. He was heavily influenced by Ayn Rand. I I mean, I think a lot of them were influenced by Ayn Rand and have tried to the extent they understood Ayn Rand to defend themselves. Um, You know, the guy who was just Secretary of State under... Trump didn't last for very long, and who ultimately, uh, who before that was the CEO of Exxon, I think was pretty proud of his uh, the money he'd made. I don't know that he attempted to publicly defend it. The Koch brothers, the Koch brothers, David Koch and Charles Koch. Uh, so there have been attempts. Rex Tillerson uh, was his name. I, you know, I don't know. There have been attempts. Have there been? How good they have been? Not very good. I truly think the revolution will come when businessmen, a significant number of them, and, a, and, a, and, a, and the prestigious ones, actually stand up and defend themselves. A- Andy Pudster, who was going to be Trump's Secretary of Labor, is also influenced by Rand, is also said positive things about the wealth he's created. So um, the guy who ran Lululemon tried to defend the wealth that he created. But again, they don't do a great job. Uh, billionaires are the opening salvo for these nihilists. Millionaires are next on the menu to be prosecuted. Yes. I mean, these people are egalitarians. And they want to destroy. They're nihilists. They want to tear people down. They particularly want to tear people down who don't fit their particular perception. Well, when they're done with those, I'll find other people to tear down. Because what motivates them is hatred. What motivates them is an interest in seeing people torn down. And they bought into a whole Marxist agenda, which is false on its face. So you can't be honest and hold this Marxist agenda. So they're dishonest, evaders. Now, he says billionaires will move to Singapore. Maybe, but when the U.S. turns against billionaires, it's going to be very hard to find a place, very hard to find a place to hide. Would you say that this intellectual's argument is an example of what Ayn Rand called hatred of the good for being the good? Yes, although, uh, you know, he doesn't exhume that, he doesn't express that emotionalistic hatred, right? But, yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally there's a hatred of billionaires because they're billionaires, because they're good, because they produce, because they're created. And intellectuals 
who have never created, built, made anything, who've never had to stand in front of customers, clients, suppliers, employees, have no concept of what it takes to run a business, have no concept of what it takes to create a product, have no concept of what it takes to build, create, make. And they are primarily the haters. They're the people who really hate success. So yes, this is envy. This is nihilism. I mean, it's not yet nihilism, but it leads to, its inevitable consequence is nihilism. What are the main variety of leftists? Economic redistribution leftists like Bernie, gender and identity leftists or another. Is there any other type? Well, I mean, there's degrees. But yeah, I think the two main are the economic leftists and the kind of identitarian left. That is where I think it's... um, the left is, is, is splitting right now. The identitarian left is more powerful. Um, but people, I think the more traditional left is much more about economic policy. Um, I think the new left has become primarily identitarian and gender-oriented and focused on those kind of things. It, it, it's, it's nihilistic to the extreme. Now, remember that they are also economic Marxists. They're also anti-capitalists. And that the economic, you know, class warfare type also have to appease the race, gender, identity people. So they're feeding off of each other. And then it's just an issue of degree on where they stand, how bad it is. Like, clearly Elizabeth Warren and and Bernie are on the economic side. There's nobody running right now. I might be wrong, but I don't think there's anybody running for president who is on the gender identity side, because I think those people are so far gone. They're so absurd and ridiculous, the whole intersectionality crowd, that nobody would vote for them. It's so crazy and nutty and insane that they can't really make it in politics. It's too soon for them. Um, What about Betsy DeVos? Was she a crony? I don't know. I don't know enough about her and where she made her money. Her and her husband made their money. I don't know. So, Do you think that Bernie Sanders will have the same fate as Jeremy Corbyn? It seems many Democrats will stay home should he be the nominee like Corbyn. I actually think... That's right. I think what will make a Sanders-Trump election interesting is that they will be vying for the same votes in a sense of the working class, anti-trade, anti-immigration working class. Um, And I think that Bernie is better at it than Corbyn. And Bernie won't alienate like Corbyn did, like the Jewish vote in in the UK. So Bernie will get the Jewish vote. But I do think a lot of Democrats will stay home. I also think that a lot of Democrats will vote for Trump because a lot of Democrats are doing well economically. 
I don't think a lot of Silicon Valley Democrats will necessarily vote for Bernie. I don't think a lot of Wall Street Democrats will vote for Bernie. I think some of them will vote for Trump. They'll hold their nose, but they'll vote for Trump because they will, because he's so against everything they believe. And they're doing okay under Trump, at least so far. So I don't see how Bernie can win, but I do think he makes it interesting in terms of Trump's audience, in terms of a lot of the working class people who voted for Trump. I think those are people who would easily switch over to Bernie. And therefore, Trump, Trump will win because he'll get other votes. He'll get Democrats who won't vote for Bernie. But he might lose some of his supporters. Some people who voted for him last election might not vote for Trump this election. But we will see. Um, were you happy to see Michael Bloomberg somewhat defend the wealth he owned? He doesn't strike me as a nihilist like the rest of them. No, I don't think Michael Bloomberg's a nihilist. I think he's just a confused, wrong, to some extent even evasive um, um, businessman who has to play a game here because he has to pretend to be much more left than he really is in order to get the nomination. But is, is, a pra is pragmatic, is, is, is trying to say the right things, is going to defend him wealth but not too strongly, I mean, I, I think Bloomberg will be a blah president who won't do much either way. I, I, I don't think you're going to get much of Bloomberg. I mean, it's no accident that Bloomberg did the stop and frisk, right? And actually crime in New York went down quite a bit um, because it was the pragmatic thing to do. And I mean, you could make an argument that stop and frisk makes sense, but particularly in particular neighborhoods under particular conditions, absolutely makes sense. But he can't, he won't defend it now because the Democratic Party is so far to the left. But you know in how he governed New York. He didn't govern New York like a wacky leftist. He governed New York like a middle of the road, nothing. And I think that's the best we can expect. Now, I mean, between Bloomberg and Trump, I, I would vote for Bloomberg. But I don't, think Bloomberg has a chance to get the Democratic nomination. Um, if nothing dramatically changes, do we have 20 or 50 years before the Dark Ages? I don't know, and I don't know what the Dark Ages look like. I don't know what it, how it manifests itself. I, I'm not a big believer in the Dark Ages, uh, uh, Dark Ages actually happening. Um, so... But I do think this country, particularly the United States and Western Europe, don't have more than 50 years. 20 years is pushing it, but in 20 years, you know, culturally we're in much worse shape. And I think within 20 years we're going to have a massive economic crisis. So I, I think we're in deep, deep, deep trouble if nothing changes. Uh, hey, Ron, Bloomberg was awful last night. He was awful. And can't truly defend capitalism. Who can? Comrade Boney will cruise the nomination. I love the U.S., but our politics is really pathetic. I don't know if Boney will cruise the nomination. I'm still not convinced. 
I hope he's not. That would say really bad things about America. I hope he won't cruise the nomination. Uh, you know, I'm still hopeful that once, um, once kind of the Democrats settle on one centrist, that centrist will beat Bernie. He's still getting minority. Now, that's what I said about Donald Trump, too. I hope that once the Democrats selected one non-Trump candidate, he would beat Trump. But it was too late and too little. So we will see. I think we'll know a lot more after Super Tuesday in terms of um, what will happen with Bernie Sanders and whether he will indeed become the nominee. So let's wait. It's just a couple of weeks away. We'll know then. Uh, can I imagine a law being passed making it illegal to be rich? Now, that's not how they would do it. They would basically have a wealth tax that taxed your wealth over a certain limit. Uh, for example, what Elizabeth Warren wants to do. And within a few years, basically, that would reduce the wealth of the, of the top people significantly, particularly if everything else she wants was passed. The economy ground to a halt or became, we went into a deep recession. And, yeah, it, it would be the equivalent of making rich illegal. They would just basically tax it and regulate it to death. And, and uh, look, a, a, a wealth tax is pretty devastating, pretty de devastating. Uh, do you feel exhausted after doing these live streams? Does it make a lot out of you to deal with these people, or are you invigorated? I, no, live streams actually invigorate me. I mean, I like live audiences. I'd say that what happens is the day after, generally right now, I, I'm pretty pessimistic about the world. I find it very difficult to get motivated um, because I just see, I, I see all the negatives. I see... You know, not just in the super chat, but everywhere online, just the utter sheer mindlessness, the utter sheer, you know, uh, the, the complete rejection of America and what America stands for. I mean, here's an example, right? This is the super chat question. In 50 years, America is done for because of diversity. I mean, wow. I mean, the, the, the answer is no, and I, but... The fact that you would even ask a question like that, the fact that questions like that are being asked, the fact that this has become about race, the, the, the number of racists who comment on my videos, the number of anti-Semites, right? There's a, um, there's a video uh, where I do with, um, with uh, what's his name, Douglas Murray, and the title is What is Killing the West? And the number of comments in, in the thing that says, well, Jews are, or you know, minorities are, or uh, immigrants are. The number of people that make it about uh, race is just unbelievable. Now, the question is, it's not about race, it's culture. Well, give me a break. When the culture of the United States, if the, if the culture of the United States was so great, then why doesn't it assimilate all these people? It did in the past. Past immigrants to this country were barbaric. Were barbarians, no less than they are today. You think the Irish were civilized, or the Southern Italians, or the Jews were civilized when they came here? No, they weren't. But America had a strong culture, believed in a melting pot, and assimilated them into the culture. So what you're saying is that the modern immigrants are not a do not assimilate. Well, there's no evidence of that. Indeed, all the evidence suggests the opposite. 
all the evidence suggests that modern immigrants are assimilating at almost the same rates in spite of having a much more difficult time to assimilate because of our educational system and the multiculturalism that is so dominant in our culture, that they continue to assimilate. So no, it's not diversity that's hurting America. What's hurting America is America. I go back to the title of a Leonard Peikoff talk called Americans versus America. Americans are killing America. Americans, good old Americans, who have wrong ideas, who have adopted wrong philosophy. I mean, it was not, it was not diverse America that gave us Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the regulatory state, the New Deal, the Great Society, the War on Poverty. All that was done by Americans, not without the diversity, without, without the new immigrants. Airplanes do not stop assimilation. People are assimilating. Again, there's no evidence that people are not assimilating. And airplanes don't stop assimilation. And people come here for a reason. Why do people come here? To make a better life. Because American culture is better. But we don't know what makes American culture better, so why do you expect them to know that? We don't defend our own culture, so why do we expect them to defend it? We don't stand up for, for our values. Why should they? It's our fault. It's Americans' fault for not identifying what made this country great and standing up for it. So it's, it's this stuff. This stuff that is very depressing. And... As I said before, the, 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 blind, the blind, complete blind acceptance of Trump, unquestioning of Trump, the, the, the increase in racial just language, the increase in anti-Semitism, the anti-immigrant mentality, and not just illegals, all immigrants. Right. <laughs> so it's... It's, look, history is driven by ideas. History is not driven by race. It's not driven by color of skin. It's not driven by country of origin. History is driven by ideas. Americans, immigrants, and natives adopted bad ideas. You have bad outcomes. When Americans, immigrants, and natives adopt good ideas, you'll have good outcomes. It has nothing to do with diversity. It has everything to do with bad ideas. Indeed, the only reason Brazil is what it is is because of bad ideas that have shaped and created a bad culture that has created bad politics. So culture is downstream from politics. And philosophy, ideas, are downstream from culture. You want to improve the culture, improve the ideas. But the idea that you're going to make the country better by keeping it white or you're going to make this country better by limiting its diversity is absurd. The main people killing this country are just already in the border. They're already here. 
and their numbers are growing. Their numbers are growing in this country. And their numbers are growing not because of immigrants. You know, the socialism of the left and the socialism of the right, the conservative economists, conservative nationalism, is not a product of the immigrants. Yet it's just as dangerous as Bernie Sanders' socialism. So, no. I mean, I mean, I, I, you guys are obsessing about the wrong cause. Because you're obsessing about the wrong cause, you will have the wrong policies. Because you have the wrong policies, you will only accelerate the decline of the United States of America. I'm an immigrant. I came to this country for a reason. And it's depressing. It is absolutely, unquestionably depressing to see the state of American culture today on the right. On the left, I always expected it. I know the left. I grew up with the left. The left is horrible. But to see the right become as bad as the left, that is mind-boggling. To see people who claim to be objectivists or claim to be pro-liberty or pro-freedom become as bad as the left on some of these issues is really, really depressing. It's really depressing. Anyway, but the, the, these live streams are... Um, I leave them energized and motivated. I do have to say that doing them, like the hour and two before... I'm, I'm becoming less and less motivated. I won't stop, but I'm becoming less and less motivated because it appears to me that the world is in worse and worse shape and that we are having a smaller and smaller impact. Me, you, the better ones among you, are having a smaller and smaller impact, and I sometimes think it's hopeless, and what the hell am I trying to do, and who am I even talking to? Some of you know everything that I say, so you enjoy listening to me because it motivates you. That's fine. But that's not why I do it. I'm not doing this to motivate the people who already agree with me. Um, and some of you, it doesn't matter what I say. You're so you you you're, you're completely you completely blank out any argument that I make because you're already conditioned to have a particular view, and you you refuse to engage in reason. And the people who really interest me are the people whose mind I change the people who actually move, the people who actually uh, shift their views, the people who discover me and then read Ayn Rand. Now, luckily, there are quite a few of those. And that's what keeps me going. So I was in London last week, and a teacher invited me to come and talk at the school, and the teacher told me that she, by accident, came across one of my videos, started consuming a lot of the content that I produce. And as a consequence of that, read Ayn Rand. And when, from reading Ayn Rand, she's now a full-blown objectivist. And she invited me to come and speak at a school because she wants her students to be exposed to my ideas. That is what I do this for. A student who invited me to his school to speak told me he'd seen me on Ben Shapiro's show. He is a, he, he's, the student is a conservative Jew. He'd seen me on Ben Shapiro's show. He liked what he heard. He then listened to talks, what's on the podcast, 
changed his mind about a bunch of things. Then Red Ayn Rand, now is studying objectivism. That's why I do this. Again, I, I love you guys who agree with me and support me. But I'm, you know, my purpose is not, you know, most of what I do, I think, is to entertain you. I don't, I'm not teaching you that much. You know a lot of what I say. I mean, thank you for helping. Thank you for everything that you support. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is, is grow this movement. And, uh, you know, and, and the fact that there was a bunch of people in the chat and a bunch of people who listen and comment on the show who hate me and who hate what I represent and who think I'm wrong on, I think, the most important issues, um, that's inevitable. Again, it's those people in the middle who I love and who I do this for. And as long as I keep getting those emails saying, you on, you changed my life, you on, you brought me to read Ayn Rand, you on, you made me understand Ayn Rand better, you've deepened my understanding of objectivism or whatever. That's what I live for. So if you, if you are one of those, write me an email because <laughs> I love them. They're, they're worth more than the dollar support that people provide the show, right? Um, You see, this is the kind of this is the kind of nonsense that some people have and who pretend that they that they have that they're, that they're affiliated with objectivism. He says, reason, selfishness, equate equals caring about our jobs and not wanting them exported. So that's why we're anti-globalization. But that is pure collectivism, and that is pure a, a entitlement mentality. You don't have a job. Your job is voluntarily provided to you by a business person who voluntarily gives you that job because he believes he can get from you the most value. If he finds somebody else where he can get more value out of, who the hell are you to prevent him from doing that? You, you just want to use force and coercion. You're worse than the crony businessman. You're a crony employee. You want to rig the laws, rig the system, regulate and control, use force and coercion in order for you to keep the job. And then you complain about a businessman who does the same. <laughs> I mean, you are the real crony. And you are the real loser. You don't have a right to a job. There's no such thing as American jobs. You're not selfish by violating other people's rights. I mean, Ayn Rand specifically referred to this. You cannot have a selfish right to hurt somebody else. You see, comments like that, uh, I mean, because he's using the words. He, he's, he's kind of setting it up as if he understands objectivism and, or he is an objectivist, he uses selfishness and so on. And yet... He doesn't. So you're not listening enough to my show or I'm not doing a good job explaining the ideas or you haven't read enough Ayn Rand or you haven't thought about it enough or, 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 you, or you don't want to. All right, Alan asks, I'm not religious, but the slow death of Christianity is leading to a society of people who have lost purpose and this loss of purpose created a vacuum which is now being filled with even worse ideas. That is true, but... Uh, the purpose of Christianity is really, really, really bad. 
And all those lives that Christianity destroyed, at least Christianity is not destroying them. So if it's true that Christianity is disappearing, I'm not sure it's true in the United States, but out there in Europe and other places certainly is, and people are lost for purpose, then we need to help provide them with one. But the idea that should we maintain a loser purpose, a bad philosophy, a philosophy that's hurtful to human life, hurtful to individual happiness, because the alternative is worse, I'm sorry. They're all bad. And indeed, Christianity is just as bad as the worst secular authoritarian ideologies if you go back to its past, when it's taken seriously. The more Christian we are, the more bloody society becomes and the more and, and the less pursuit of happiness there is. So I don't mourn the loss of Christianity. I mourn that people are not accepting that people are not accepting a rational alternative to it. That's what I mourn, but I don't mourn the loss of Christianity at all. Somebody says, I need to get on Joe Rogan. I'd love to go on Joe Rogan. He won't have me. He won't have me. Uh, I love your live chat. Thank you. It helps me explain the ideas to others. Also, I find Ayn Rand through finding your lectures on YouTube. See, Wendy, Wendy made my day. That's why I do it, right? Because she found Ayn Rand. Because Ayn Rand is everything. Ayn Rand is the source. Ayn Rand is what you should be studying. Ayn Rand is what matters. And if I, in my little way, can move you towards a better understanding of Ayn Rand or reading Ayn Rand or get you to engage with Ayn Rand, I've done my job. That is my goal. That, that, is, my, that is my purpose in doing these podcasts. That is my purpose in giving my talks is to get you to read Ayn Rand, to get you to understand Ayn Rand, to get you engaged with these ideas. Her ideas. Not mine. All right. We'll call it a night. <laughs> um, somebody who knows Joe, ask him why he won't have me on. And I think probably you guys need to write him more emails or tweet him more to get me on. I mean, he, he, he's endorsed Bernie Sanders. Maybe that's why he won't have me on. And um, he's had some pretty weird people on. But not me. He'll even have Peter Schiff on, so he's not against libertarians. It's objectivism he objects to. All right, James says, I listened to you and switched from thinking. Think, uh, thinking I am a Democrat to a Republican and then to a libertarian, and now I am borderline. Uh, well, I hope you become an objectivist. I hope you become an objectivist because libertarian is not, as a political party, is not very good. Uh, so I'm glad I've had some impact. Hopefully, read Ayn Rand, as I said. All right, guys. I, I don't expect everybody who's ever been <laughs> influenced to, uh, to give me a shout-out right now, but uh, know that it matters. Know that it has an impact, so feel free to write to me, and thank you to those, all of you. I, I, I don't often respond, but thank you to all of you who do write to me. It makes a big, big difference in my life, so thank you. All right. Um, what makes Ayn Rand better than others like Friedman or Mises? She's right. And she's a philosopher. They're economists. 
They were right in a little domain. She's right in a massive domain and the most important domain to human life, which is the domain of philosophy, the domain of morality, of ethics. So um, she's much more important than Friedman or Mises. And Friedman or Mises, their economic ideas will never win unless Ayn Rand wins. Unless Ayn Rand wins. So, so study Ayn Rand because Ayn Rand has an immediate, immediate impact on your life the way you live it now even in this rotten mixed economy. It's not about economics or politics. It's about your life. And that, you will learn how to live that life. You do a better job living that life if you read Ayn Rand. All right. Bye, everybody. Oh, uh, thumbs up. Give Like the show. Share the show. Go now and just press the like. Or if you hate it, press the bad. Just interact. Engage. Right? And um, if you want to support the show financially, that helps a lot. Uh, com slash support. And on Patreon and Subscribestar, you can go to Show and support it there. Thanks, everybody. Bye.